I'm on a bit of a family search. Um, my uh, father, I came from a, a non-Christian background, and uh, it's a long story, but um, uh, my father left home about the age of 14, joined the Merchant Navy, and one of the places he stopped at was in Australia, and apparently I have three brothers and sisters uh, somewhere. Um, people have been coming up to me and saying, I know somebody who looks like you. <laughs> Russell Crowe? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> But bless you for your welcome, and we've had just had a fantastic time. And, and uh, we're going, to be honest, we don't really want to go anywhere else. We want to stay in Toowoomba. This is great. This is an awesome place. Thank you for your welcome, your, your faith, your life. Um, we went on a kangaroo safari yesterday. Um, <laughs> did you know you have kangaroo safaris? Yeah, you do, and, um, <laughs> which was awesome. And it just, it's been fantastic to be with you and to, uh, to be with Ian. And uh, um, Ian came over to uh, London and shared some of the stories from Australia with us. And I think what's happening, this, this, is, this is a move of God, by the way, if you don't know this. This is a move of God, and it's on every continent and virtually every country. And now people are beginning to find each other, and they're beginning to say, hey, God's doing something here. Is God doing something there? So this isn't the latest book. This isn't the latest big church to arise. This isn't the latest fad. Uh, This has been going 30 plus years, easily that, in some places even longer. Because in every place where we have seen city transformation, it is the intercessors who come first. And we honor you, those of you who pray and pray and pray. There is no transformation without prayer. There is no transformation. Personal transformation didn't come without prayer, did it? Um, I'm married to a wonderful woman who I managed to uh, convince uh, very early in her life that... um, there were no other options, and um, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> um, I don't come from a Christian family, but my, she comes from a, uh, uh, I think, six-generation Christians, and uh, her grandmother prayed every day from the day she was born for the husband she would marry. <laughs> hey. I'm not quite sure she saw that as an answer to prayer, but um, when, when my wife went out with a guy at the age of 14, uh, her grandmother wrote to her and said, uh, you had to stop that relationship. I don't know if this is standard practice in Australia, but I think it should be because I'm a grandparent now. And um, <laughs> because uh, your, uh, your, your husband um, is, is going to be a Baptist minister. That's what he said. Um, and, uh, and he, he will arrive within a couple of years into the city. Um, and there I, I arrived. And I was going to be training to be a Baptist minister. Sorry, I, this, there was no way out for her. That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I paid the grandmother. Um, <laughs> God is able to do immeasurably more than we imagine. Wonderful. Has anyone got a Bible? I've forgotten my Bible. Um, you have to turn your Bible on these days. You don't open a Bible, do you? Um, this, is, this is the state of the British church. They don't even bring a Bible. Um, I have it on my phone, but um, uh, um, my phone's run out of power, so that's the end of that. Let's see. Um, I just want to read from Luke uh, chapter 10. This isn't an Australian, is it? It's in English? Luke chapter 10, and and if you can turn your phone on, 
uh, your Bible on. Uh, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. He sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he is about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if the head of the house loves peace, your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking. Whatever they give you for workers deserve their wages. Do not move around from house to house. And then goes on to explain. Thank you so much, brother. That's a great translation, actually. Bless you. Um, I love that passage, actually, because um, it's, it's a very comfortable passage because it speaks about mission, uh, lambs, wolves, dangers, trusting in others, your next meal, challenge to be content with where God has placed you. It talks about the ministry of healing and deliverance. It's a, it's a really comfortable passage because it has nothing to do with ordinary Christians, thank God. <laughs> it's not for normal people. It's for the extraordinary people. They're called missionaries. That's why we love them and send them away. And... Uh, <laughs> I didn't read the verse which says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, don't worry about this bit of the Bible. It's only for a few special people. The trouble is it won't be relegated to that um, understanding. So we have a bit of 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 a disconnect here because suddenly I'm reading that and then I'm looking at my life and thinking, I'm not really sure my life matches up to that passage in terms of being sent out, you see. The trouble is it's not just for the overseas missionaries. It's actually for nurses and business people and mums and dads and builders and pastors and everybody. The passage is for them because within it is a strong undercurrent of biblical teaching all the way through God's word. And that the undercurrent is, is that God is an abundant God. That's the undercurrent all the way through. God is an abundant God. The harvest is plentiful. So when you go out, believe the harvest is ready. You're to trust in my protection. You're to have utter trust in the providing God. Don't take any money with you or spare provisions or a backup truck of supplies. Just go and trust in me to provide. I will bless you. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. That's what the passage is really saying. So as we are sent out by Jesus, like the 72, that's the heart that we are to have. We're to go into all the world, serving his agenda, being a source of blessing, working to bring in the harvest of the kingdom. And we have to get in our minds sorted at this particular point, who's in charge, who are we going to trust, who is going to win, because that's what the nature of the universe is all about. Christ is upon his throne. This passage says, essentially life, is a blessing. It's a wonderful, rich, abundant, life-giving, beautiful blessing. It's overflowing, it's overflowing, it's overflowing, it's ever replenishing. God is richly providing for your every need. That's what this passage says, you see. So therefore you can go out, you can go anywhere you like, you see, basically because God will be there for you. He'll be ahead of you and, and you'll take the blessing on that place and let your blessing rest and so on and so on. It's an abundant God. The trouble is, that's not how we live in relation to the world, is it? It's a God of abundance, but we live in a world of scarcity, don't we? Where we are told that life is finite, resources are scarce, there isn't enough to go around. That's what we're told constantly. We're living under a constant propaganda of the world. Not enough, not enough, not enough. 
Not enough finances, not enough resources, not enough love, actually. At the end of the day, I've only got a certain amount of love, so I can't really share it amongst everybody, obviously, because it's not enough. So if there's not enough, what do you do? Well, whatever you get, you hold on to, don't you? If it's not enough, my goodness, I've got to hold on to this. And I'm going to keep you away from it. Because if there's not enough, I'm going to keep what I have. Therein is based the whole financial system of the world. If you base it on the fact that it's not enough. If this passage was written in that vein, Jesus would have said, go into the world, try and find a few people who may be left, who haven't closed themselves off to spiritual things, go to very easy areas, nice places, good weather, beaches, Australia, (laughs) middle-class areas. Remember, there are loads of dangers. So take as much as you can with you, basically. Take as much money, bags, food, several pairs of shoes, insurance, credit cards, credit card protection, because you never know what's going to happen. Get your pension sorted out. Go and rent a house, but better to buy, obviously, in the long term. Keep yourself to yourself. Don't rely on others too much. Get a good job. Try and keep it. Plan for your retirement. And along the way, probably tell a few people about Jesus. And that's the kind of gospel we've created because we live in a world of scarcity, you see? Because the constant propaganda. Get yourself sorted. Look after yourself. You never know what's going to happen. That's the propaganda. It's the culture sometimes of the church today as well. But he didn't say that. He said something profoundly different. Remember, Luke's gospel is written to a persecuted church on the back foot, in the corner, waiting, wondering whether it would even exist under the might of the Roman Empire. And into this context, this word comes to the church. Whenever you go out, don't worry about it. God's going to be with you. Don't worry about it. I'm fearful that we've, we've lost confidence or consciousness about the provision of God in our lives. I really do. And I think I was, I was losing confidence in that. I think, um, I think I kind of viewed a bit life like this. There, there is my life, which is obviously under constant pressure, and I'm living under this propaganda. And then in the, in the little section is the providence of God. And that's the bit I go to when I'm really in trouble. Isn't it? That's the bit I go to when I'm really in trouble. When I'm on not too much trouble, I'll find other places to go to. But at the end of the day, that's where my prayer life usually begins. This passage says it's completely different. You live within the providence of God. And your life's a little bit part of it, you see. It's not the providence of God is a bit part of your life. You live in the providence of God. It's the word of God. Is He says this to us. In this passage, I think, and many, many others, um, there is a challenge to this illusion, this illusion. And I call it an illusion because I think it's a propaganda. Certainly the Bible starts out in uh, Genesis chapter 1, and it's full of the promises of God and the provision of God. Because whatever God creates, he just says, that's really good, seriously good. He makes something else, and he says, that's, that's just brilliant, phenomenal, that's amazing. He declares and he blesses it and he endows creation with vitality and, and life, the plants, the animals, the fish, the birds of humankind. And he says as the creator, be fruitful and multiply because you are within the abundance of God. So whatever you do, just keep fruitful and multiply and, and keep going and keep going. And then, at the, you know, at the end of, of the seven days, God kind of says to himself, my goodness, I'm exhausted. I think we'll have a day off. 
because it's just an incredible, incredible provision of God. In Psalm 104, it, it just talks about the, the provision of God, the longest creation poem really written. It goes on and on about the incredible things about the heavens and the earth and the waters and the springs and the trees and the birds. It's wonderful being here in Australia because you've got the weather to actually see it. You know, we, we, we do have beautiful things, but we, we're, we're so cold in, in our houses and we don't really see it much. But... There's a great verse in verse 27 and 28. He says, they will proclaim, you give them all food in due season. You feed everybody. God feeds you. See, in the providence of God, it's God who feeds you. Did anyone have breakfast this morning? Some of you. Most of you are fasting, obviously. (laughs) Other people planning on having lunch? Yeah, generally. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, did you, you fed yesterday, food yesterday, and day before? Yeah? Yeah, that's good. It's God who feeds you, brothers and sisters. The, the, the propaganda says it's somebody else. You live in the providence of God. The Bible just turns everything upside down, you see. Challenges all the kind of stuff we get within our heads. It says at the end of that psalm, it says, if you give your breath, the world will live. If you ever stop breathing, the world will die. What an incredible verse that is. This psalm makes clear we don't need to worry because God is utterly, utterly reliable. And that's when Jesus said, the birds of the air kind of know that. How slow are you? Birds of the air. Psalm 150, it just ends and just, just goes, praise Yahweh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God. I think that's what we're doing in worship, by the way. We are creating a canopy of praise when we worship. Does God need to hear our worship? I don't think he does need to hear our worship because I think he's God, basically. He doesn't need to tell himself or be told by other people that he's God. It's us who need the worship. It's us who need to create a canopy of praise over our heads, saying God is in his heaven. That's why it's so important to gather together and be on Sundays and and listen to your worship tapes. Because as you go back into the world on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, you get the propaganda, don't you? The propaganda. It just hits you. And you've got to keep with that canopy of praise. I shall live a different way. Later in Genesis, God blesses Abraham and Sarah and the family. And he tells them to be a blessing and to bless the nations of the world and so on. And the whole of Genesis goes all the way through blessing and abundance until chapter 47, when a bloke called Pharaoh decides he's going to run out. There's going to be a famine. And this is the first time that scarcity hits the Bible. And he says there's not going to be enough. So let's get everything. Isn't that interesting? There's not going to be enough. I'm the most powerful bloke around. I'm going to get everything. I'm not going to run out. They may run out, but I'm not going to run out. And the notion of scarcity is introduced into the biblical faith. By the end of Exodus, Pharaoh has been as mean, brutal, and and as ugly as he knows how to be, as the myth of scarcity tends to be like that. It's pretty brutal, actually, because it's dog-eat-dog. And whoever's big enough to get it, or keep it in Panama. <laughs> Beyond all the laws of the world. Because you're big enough, you can do it. They're the new pharaohs of today, you see. Oh, I'm getting a little political there for a Brit. <laughs> Finally, he becomes so exasperated by his inability to control the people of Israel 
that he says to them, as he tells Moses and Aaron to get them out of here, he says to them before he does that, very interestingly, take your people and leave, take your flocks and herds and just get out of here. And then before he sends them away, he says to Moses and Aaron, would you bless me? The man who has everything asks for the blessing of the people of the God who really has everything. Isn't that incredible? And then he changes his mind and chases them across the desert and so on and so forth. It is clear, he is saying to them, you are the wave of the future. You are the wave of the future. Hallelujah. So when the people are in Israel, in the wilderness, and they're thinking to themselves, no food, no water, it would seem to be fairly better deal back there. Let's have a discussion about this. Let's have a church meeting. I'm Baptist. And I think the proposition is, let's go back. And then God says to Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he goes, oh, I've got a stick. <laughs> Fairly powerful stick, this. Water comes. And then this, this food comes, doesn't it? Do you remember? Manna just drops down, drops down, drops down every day. It's really interesting what they did with manna because it's this God's abundance and it feeds them. And I mean, it was fairly boring. You had manna burgers, manna kebabs, manna, manna everything, but whatever. Um, there were some quails as well, but you know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't a, you know, a huge diet, but Hebrew, sorry, manna in Hebrew means basically, what is this? <laughs> it's a strange thing. Three things. Firstly, everybody had enough. In God's provision, everybody has enough. Second, when they tried to bank it, invest it, keep it for tomorrow, it turns sour. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Oh, oh I've got to wait every, what, every, every like every day come, is a blessing from God. It, can't I bank the blessings for tomorrow? No, of course you can't blank. Because new every morning, new every morning. New every morning. The incredible thing. And finally, Moses says, you know what we ought to do? We ought to, we ought to, do, as, we do, we ought to do as God did in Genesis 1, and we ought to have a Sabbath. And a Sabbath means, this is what a Sabbath means. It means that one day of the week, I will not strive myself to provide for myself, but I will lay down a marker, and I will simply say, at least I remember every day of one day of during the week, every day, I will remember that my life my life depends and comes from God himself. That's, that's the importance of it. We speak, speak out something. We speak out something. The bread comes down. And then, hallelujah, Jesus comes. And suddenly the abundance of God gets even better. Because wherever he goes, blessing comes, doesn't it? It's incredible. The world is blessed um, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are freed from death. Jesus left ordinary people dazzled, amazed, and grateful. And he left powerful people, the people in the propaganda machine, angry and upset because every time he performed a wonder, they lost a little bit of their clout. So I keep the people poor. And Jesus said, I'm not keeping them poor. <laughs> You're not blind for life. I speak something else over you. I speak freshness and newness. I speak a new day. I speak a, a day of blessing. 
And so when he takes the bread, I love it, when, you know, he's got 5,000 people there and the disciples are thinking, right, it's time to go. They're planning the whole operation, if we could get them back in a certain time and, and everything like that. They're, they're miles away from any food source, obviously. They're, they're being, they are, you know, they're doing good kind of things that you should probably do. And Jesus says, um, um, how much have we got? And they go, well, <laughs> sorry. Let's just go through the plan, okay? The plan is we're going to get them back. I think it, before it's dark, we, if you just stop talking, and, um, and we'll get them back, and, and hopefully, you know, and he said, well, how, that's, no, sorry, how, sorry, this is my version. This is the British version. Um, um, no, sorry, no, how, 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 what have we got? And there's a, there's a little kid in there. I mean, he's looking good because he doesn't have to go back too early because he's actually got a little feast, <laughs> He's got some bread and fish, and he's looking forward to this. And, uh, and one of them goes, well, we've got his food. And he's thinking, this is not your food, mate. <laughs> he says, well, let's... let's um... He took it. That's what it says. He took it. He blessed it. Everything comes from you, O oh Lord. He broke it. And he gave it. Those same words are used in the upper room before he dies. You see? And so there you are, you know, he divided them to 150s, yes? So there you are, you're a disciple, okay? I would go for the 50, to be honest. Because what I've, only, I've, got, I've got one twelfth of that little meager lunchbox, okay? And then I'm thinking, 100? No, I'm going to go for the 50. And I'm thinking, how the heck is this going to go around? Because that's the abundance of God, you see, brothers and sisters. How the heck is this going to go around? Are you believing this? Sorry, it's hard because I know that there's a propaganda machine out there that says, don't believe this. There really is. It's saying in your head at the moment, yeah, yeah. It's a story. Brothers and sisters, are you believing this? And he gives it out, 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 and it doesn't run out, and it doesn't run out, and they eat, 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 and then he says, collect all the leftovers. <laughs> and they fill 12 baskets, which are for the 12 tribes of Israel, which are for the world. It can't run out, you see. And the oil with the widow with Elijah it doesn't run out. Because infinite are the resources of the beautiful God. The market ideology wants you to believe that life consists of buying, selling, weighing, measuring, and trading. And then finally sinking down into death and nothingness. Well, that's a great gospel, that is, isn't it? But Jesus provides an entirely different kind of economy. One infused with the mystery of abundance and the kindness of generosity. Hallelujah. And it's not just about economics and eating, it's about love as well, because Jesus just said, I've got, I've got more love than you need. I've seriously got more love than you need. Love doesn't run out. We, I only wanted a couple of kids. Um, I married the wrong woman. And, um, <laughs> and I'm, it is a big thing, you know, we have four, and, and, uh, and, then, and now they're producing grandchildren at an incredible rate. Um, and I'm saying, slow down. I can't afford this. I'm putting the Easter eggs in the, in the, in the you know, the Easter. And I'm thinking, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 
No, sorry, seven, one on the way. But we had to buy one for the baby yet to come. I'm saying, I'm not buying one for the baby yet to come yet. (laughs) Oh, no, it'd be meaningful. I'm thinking, oh, okay. (laughs) Because I think deep within me, I thought, as a dad, was I able to actually provide? I think so. I think there was a fear in my heart. Um, Now, I've got the blessing of being able to provide, and some of you may not have been able to have kids, so I understand that, but... Um, God provides. God provides. He always provides. Um, Jesus knows no limit to his generosity. Um, It's very interesting during the time of Jesus, the Jews were under occupation and they lost their identity and their future. And as doing so, they defended themselves. And particularly people under pressure defend themselves. And, and so they created barriers and rules and walls and regulations. And that's where all the pharisaical rules come from, really. And a lot of them had to do, very interestingly, of the 342 pharisaical laws, I think it's 249 had to do with eating. Isn't that interesting? And it, it's about the washing ceremony and what you eat and what you don't eat, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and it's almost as if the, they couldn't control their lives because their lives were under the Roman occupation, but they could control their private lives and who you ate with and who you didn't eat with. And, and there was a whole load of exclusions. There was not a lo- enough love to go around, obviously. Only the true people of Israel would receive the true love of God. And, and so it was a bit like a private dining room with a bouncer on the, on the door with a list of people who could come in and who couldn't come in. And true Jews could come in, but there were certain people who were not allowed in to the blessing of God. And there was a list, actually. You could go through it. I don't know if we have any, um, any shepherds and farmers here. Do we have any shepherds and farmers here? Oh, we do. That's okay. Just put up your hand if you're shepherd, farmers, kind of agriculture. Okay, fantastic. Um, no, you're not on the list. You can't come in. Sorry about that. So I just checked. Any shopkeepers? People working in retail or... Yeah. Oh, thank you. No, no you can't come in either. Um, a doctor's health service. Anyone doctoring, health service, nursing? Uh, do people have jobs here? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm going through a list here, guys. <laughs> um, no, you can't come in. Any butchers? Uh, cleaners? People clean their houses? Yeah, that's good. Not many. Um, hairdressers? Yeah. Sorry, you can't come in. Um, blood letters. Any blood letters? It's not a... It's not a modern profession, but um, I'm sure they'll come up with a university degree on it. Um, tanners, any tanners? No, okay. Any gamblers or tax collectors? Um, we have a tax collector, actually, here. Sorry, an accountant, sorry. But, uh, same thing. And, um, oh, sorry, here's the list. So you all can't come in. Also, any adulterous prostitutes or idolaters? That would be helpful to identify this morning. Okay. Uh, Australians. Do you have any Australians? <laughs> Fantastic. Great. You're not on the list, but you should be. Um, <laughs> then all those Israelite Jewish people who don't keep the law to the full, um, you can't come in. Oh, sorry. Any Gentiles here? Oh, okay. Well, that's not good. Because you're not going in either. Because they kept things holy, you see. And you are unholy. Jesus does not run a private dining room with a bouncer on the door. He goes into the food court of life. 
and he takes over some tables and he pushes them together and he gets some chairs around it and he puts a white cloth on it and he puts all the catering on it and he puts all the food on it and he puts all the drink on it and he stands on a chair in the food court of life and he says, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is hungry, come to me. I don't care who you are or what you've done. Come to me. Because the provision of God is for you. Hallelujah. 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 Brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't defend holiness. You understand that? He didn't defend He didn't have a bouncer on the door with holiness. He unleashed it. So when the, when the woman had been bleeding for 12 years and touches him, does he become unholy? Because in the Jewish law, he should become unholy and then go through the ritual of cleansing. Of course he doesn't. He's Jesus. She becomes holy. You see? So I don't know quite how we've ever created these churches with walls that say, you know, you've got to be, you, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tick list, really, basically, to getting in. Brothers and sisters, we're not here to defend holiness. We're here to unleash it into the world. Because such is the abundance of God. So when in Luke 10 it says, when you go into this world, sent by the abundant grace-giving God to prepare the way for his overflowing love. Remember the harvest is huge. Remember the harvest is huge. Now you've got to remember this sometimes because sometimes it doesn't look like it. But it's huge. It's out there and it's waiting. Remember that. It's overflowing. It's another bumper year. Be positive about life and its results. Life is not limited. It is not scarce. It is not frugal. We are walking into the abundance of God. There is no austerity cut in the kingdom of God. God is not in recession. It's not in negative equity. God doesn't owe money on the world, okay? He's not having to hold back a bit. God isn't broke and he's not in debt. He owns everything. And we are to rely and trust and put our faith in the abundant God. So don't be sidelined by other people's agendas. When you come to the place of God, you come to a place of blessing. Your home is a blessing. Is it not? I don't care whatever God has given you. Your home is a blessing. Your home is a blessing. The food you will eat at lunchtime. Give thanks for it. Give thanks for it. Just before you eat, give thanks for it. Better to give sometimes thanks before you eat, but depending on the cooking. But give thanks for it. Live in this, the family you will raise, the community you will bless. So you speak out shalom, God's wholeness, when you go to places. Speak it out. Speak it out over your neighborhoods. Speak it out over your, your streets, over your, over your workplaces. Tomorrow, speak out blessing on them because the abundant God is here, you see. He can cope with anything. He can give as much love as you need. He can turn lives around. He can turn businesses around. He can turn the health service around. That's Dave's story in Salford. You would not have been there. I mean, seriously, this is not a place. If you are, sorry, 10 years ago, if somebody said, as you visit the UK, probably do London, pop up to Oxford, and then go to Salford, you would not have had a good experience. It was, it was not a good place. Nothing good came out of Salford. No, seriously. Well, obviously some Oscar winners. But brothers and sisters, it was not the place of blessing. And then my brother and others, 
just prayed to God and they heard God's word over it. Because God says another word over us, doesn't he? That may be the word said of you, but God says another word over you. My dad who lived this um, life (laughs) and created life all over the place, um, uh, he uh, had an affair with my mother when uh, he was 50, she was 23. And I had, I, had a, I had a name set over me. Um, that was the illegitimate child. They used a stronger name. That was my nickname in the family. When they went through the process of abortion, perhaps, and then certainly adoption. But my auntie took me in and uh, looked after me. And then eventually my mother took over. And eventually they kind of got together. Um, uh, we had a bad relationship over the years. Bad relationship, me and my father. Um, I, used to, I used to hate him. That's how I did. Now, I was also a difficult teenager, okay? But that's how I felt. And then God just did something. Well, firstly, he gave me a wife who decided this was going to change. So when God and your wife are against you, (laughs) seriously, you have got trouble. God did a miracle. He moved me from hating him and wishing I never saw him to looking forward to seeing him. I don't know how that happened. That's a miracle. And then he had illnesses and he went into a coma eventually. And, uh, um, and I tried to share faith, not very well with him. But seriously, this is a man who is so far away from the blessing and the abundance of God throughout his whole life. He was a schemer, you know. He was a man who held on to things. He was a man who, who didn't believe in any abundance. He believed everything was scarce. He was going to grab it as much as possible. People disliked my father. And my wife said, um, you need to go and go and pray with him now. I said, I, I, I was really nervous. I don't know about, you know, sometimes your family, that's the, that's the worst thing, isn't it? You know, I've preached to thousands, but going to talk to my father who's in a coma, okay? Oh, great evangelist that I am. <laughs> I am quaking. And I held his hand and I said, a doctor told me that sometimes people can hear in a coma. So I, I was hoping he didn't, but anyway, he did. And um, I said, I said, Dad, um, if you can hear me, this is a really good time to make your peace with God. And, uh, and I said, if, if, I don't know if you can hear me, but say this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Because that's the abundance of God prayer, isn't it? At the end of the day, you've done everything, everything not to deserve this. But then the abundance of God comes and waits by your bedside. And waits by your bedside. Three days in the coma, hadn't spoken to anyone. He opened his eyes and he said these words, Jesus Christ, forgive my sins. And the abundance of God comes. And one day there's going to be a place of abundance I'm going to be with him. He's an Arsenal supporter, which is not good, but (laughs) we're going to have to get through that. The abundance of God. We're meeting people all over this world now who just believe in the abundance of God, not just for their lives, for their families, but for their businesses. People who believe in the abundance of God for their families. People who believe in the abundance of God for their cities. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That we could believe in the abundance of God for our cities. This, uh, um, so this, this is an art piece by my wife. Um, she does a big art exhibition across the center of Manchester and uh, 
Um, this is, these are 20,000 uh, pieces of uh, paper which have been sewn together. Sorry, 20,852. I know this because I had to punch them. <laughs> and it's called manna from heaven. And it, it, hang, it hung in a beautiful church. Um, and people would come in. Uh, the church is open to the public. And they get about uh, five, 6,000 people through a week, non-Christians. And people would stand under it. And sometimes people would lay on the floor and look up to it. Um, utterly incredible, really. One person uh, that Dave knows stood under it and said these words, not a Christian, I must go back to church. Because it speaks to the abundance of God, you see. Um, this is Salford. Uh, this is where Dave comes from. I'm not sure that's your house, Dave, where it used to be. But uh, Dave bought a house of 25 grand. It went down to two grand. Okay? Such was the prosperity of Salford. In the end, he gave it away. <laughs> Good God found him another house. These are the docks, which uh, were the center of the Industrial Revolution. The uh, cotton came in and out and were out to the world, really. Um, uh, I would get Dave to tell you this story, but he, he takes too long. And, um, <laughs> and he doesn't exaggerate it like I do. And uh, <laughs> this is where Dave prayer walked uh, with uh, others. And, uh, and they prayer walked other places all over Salford. But in this place, God said to them, one day Salford will go to the world and the world will come to Salford. And that's a ridiculous prayer. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Seriously. So this man turns up to ministers' meetings and he believes that Salford will be transformed. And we're all looking at him thinking, oh yeah, sure, really, right behind you. <laughs> Slightly, anyway. And he believed it. He walked it. He walks with King Jesus. You see? He saw what was to be. We didn't. No one else saw what was to be. We could see other places perhaps had potential. This place had no potential in our minds. Um, and he knelt by these uh, docks, and that's the words. The world will come to Salford. Salford will go to the world. This is the BBC. That's the same place, nearly. So I don't, I don't, this, this sort of thing happened a lot in Australia. This doesn't happen in our country. Um, there's another. How much more to go in? One billion pounds worth of investment, phase two. Um, uh, the, actually, that, that building there is where Dave had his meeting with the BBC. Um, brothers and sisters, when God speaks a word over your city, that's it. Sorry, that's it. That, it, it cannot be rescinded. God doesn't say, oh, I think I made a mistake. When God speaks a word over your life, when he speaks a word over your family, when he speaks a word over your city, it's the word. That's it. That's the end of it. My brother Dave believed it. We didn't. Now, the churches, I mean, in those days, it was no church, 30, 40, one church, 150. That was it. That was the size. Now, we've got the largest church in Greater Manchester in Salford. We've got several other churches in the several hundreds in Salford. In the early days, if you wanted to kill a church, you put it in Salford. <laughs> the abundance of God, do you see? The abundance of God. We're hearing story after story after story all around this world of the abundance of God. Of God just saying, do you know, do you know what? Ask, ask, ask. 
Okay, so the church is in Lincolnshire, which is, the, which is a huge area on the north, sort of northeast side of our country. The highest road deaths in the country. The roads are dangerous. They're long and, and they've got dips in them and people die. And uh, the police and the councils throw millions and millions of pounds at it. And they can't bring it down. So the churches say, can we help? And they say, okay, we'll have road safety awareness training in the churches, which they did. Which is okay. But then the churches decided to pray. Because they thought, perhaps, is the abundance of God for the roads? So the Anglo-Catholics, they, they took their, they went to the, bless, the blessing of the gritting lorries. We have gritting, I don't know if you have gritting lorries when it's going to ice up these, they, they went to bless the gritting lorries with holy um, antifreeze. And, um, <laughs> it made BBC News, this, by the way. Seriously, this is not, um, they do it every year. Um, the charismatics adopted the roundabouts. And some bright spark had a word from God. We should have a communion service in the middle of the roundabout. These are the most dangerous places on the roads of Lincolnshire, which is the most dangerous place in the country to drive. And the charismatics adopt the roundabouts. I've just got this picture of these quite elderly charismatics making a run for it. <laughs> Road deaths went up by... Um, no, they didn't. <laughs> Every church adopted a black spot road, you know, um, the dangerous road. Every church, that's, that's our road. We're going to pray into that. Death rate halved in a year. Brothers and sisters, we have more authority than we think because we have an abundant God who is seeking to bless. Who's seeking to bless. He isn't just a bless. Thank God for the blessing on the church. Thank God for the blessing in your life. But it's more than that. It's bigger than that. It's wider than that. There is nothing, nothing. All things belong to him. Nothing is outside what belongs to him. Abraham Kuyper said, uh, there's not one place in the whole of human existence over which Christ does not declare mine. I will have it. And you will have my blessing. So as you go to work tomorrow, and uh, it's difficult and hard, just pray the prayer of blessing. And bless. And love. And when your boss is just being the most difficult person in the world, love them back. Throw ammunition of love. And grace. And forgiveness. Because that's the ammunition we have. Because that's the blessing language, you see. That's the blessing language. And if your marriage is in trouble at the moment, come to the God of blessing. And kneel down together. Kneel down with other people. And say, God, I don't know how to work this out. It looks as though it's going to be a whole year of therapy and everything like that. God can do things. God can do things. And if you're worried about your kids, you get on your knees, don't you? That's what you do. Your grandchildren, you get on your knees. The social issues of the area, you get on your knees and you say, God, we need your blessing. We need you to turn up. Let me just finish with this. Um, we make friends with uh, our uh, Africans who have arrived in our country and they brought the faith of God to us again. Thank God. They brought the vibrancy. They brought fasting, which I'm not too happy with, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and they brought prayer. And they brought blessing to us. They really have. When you have an offering in a black church, it's the most exciting thing ever. In a white church, it's not that exciting. In a black church, they dance forward. They dance forward because this is the offering. They dance off at the front. They've got the video screens. It's just the best moment of the service. 
Because they believe. They believe in the blessing of God. And the overflow of that blessing is you give back to God. Do you see? You just give back to God. You give them your car keys as a preacher and you... Uh, um, they, they, sorry, they ask for your car keys. I'm thinking, they want my car? I get, I get my car keys back at the end. They fill my boot with gifts. Now I'm a Brit. I'm embarrassed now. I'm embarrassed because I didn't bring them anything. That's, that's how we think, okay? This is our scarcity mentality. I, did, I, I owe them now. God, no, no. So the next time I see them, I bring them a gift. And obviously that's got rid of it. Thank God for that. No, but he's already brought another gift. This is getting out of hand. So I bring another gift, a bigger gift than the gift he brought me and the one before that. And then he brings another gift, bigger than that gift. So we have a conversation. My wife has a conversation with his wife and says, look, we know each other now. We don't need to do this. Her face falls. And she looks at my wife seriously and says, you can't stop the blessing. So I'm in a giving war with this guy. I can't win it. Last Christmas, I took him out and his wife into a country estate and we took them out for a meal. And he, and he said to me, brother, brother, can I, can I pay for this? He's got this wonderful deep voice. Can I pay for this? I said, no, brother, brother, this is my gift. I've got him. I've got him. Awesome. I mean, seriously, this is it. I've got him. He turns to me, gets out his bag and he says, brother, can I, can I just, just, just respond in just a small way? He gives me an iPad. Gives me this iPad. And he's done it again. I turn to him and I say, one day, Pastor, I will outgive you. He turns to me and says, never. <laughs> Pray for me, it's stressful. Because <laughs> you can't outgive God. Brothers and sisters, let's live in... I like, do you know, sorry, I like that rather than the whole money-pinching thing, you know? I like that. I like that. That's a better way to live, actually. Isn't it? Brings a smile to my face. Praise God. The blessing God, the abundant God, it can do everything. Who wants a bit of blessing today? Amen.